Well, good evening, everyone. Good to be here. Um, let me go ahead and open up in a word of prayer. Um, we are going to be this evening in, uh, in Matthew chapter 13. And, uh, you know, I was planning, I, I got to share on Wednesday, uh, Sunday evening also. And I was planning on share this lesson, uh, this study on Sunday evening, some of it, right? And what I was going to share on Sunday evening, I was going to do it this evening. And then I started to, to think about it and say, you know, this, these two are related. And, and they are so related that if I do what I was going to do tonight and then what I'm doing tonight on, month, on Sunday, things will be backwards. <laughs> and so here I am um, with eight pages of notes. Yeah, eight pages on note. So I'm going to ask you guys to talk a lot. That way I don't have to go through the notes and we'll go faster. <laughs> Does that sound okay? You know, and I enjoy the participation, so we'll do that. So let's pray for it. Lord God, we just want to thank you and praise you uh, for who you are. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord. And we pray that uh, even tonight's lesson, Lord, that we may be encouraged, challenged, and, uh, and motivated, Lord, uh, uh, to be the people that you want us to be. Work on our life, Lord. Uh, work on this lesson and working on me, Lord, that I might present your word faithfully, Lord, and that you will work in our hearts. We ask in Jesus' name, Lord God. Amen. Okay. So again, we are in Matthew chapter 13. I mean, I'd like to do. 1 3. 1 3. No. Uh, 1 3. 13. Uh, and, you know, Matthew chapter 13, Mark 1, 3, is, a, is pivotal. It's a pivotal chapter in the Gospel of Matthew. So let me tell you why I say that and why we are going to study the first part of this Matthew. Uh, every Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, has a theme, has something that they're going to present about the Lord Jesus Christ, a particular focus about the Lord Jesus Christ. And Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, presents Jesus Christ as the King of the Jews and as the kingdom coming, right? And so it begins with the genealogy of Jesus Christ and, and Matthew presents the, in the Gospel showing that Jesus is the promised Messiah. Then he goes on to reinforce that claim by the visit of the wise men coming from the east, and by John the Baptist coming and proclaiming all along, this is the king of the Jews. Next came the temptation of Jesus, uh, that, uh, where he shows his power that he is God in the flesh, right? And, uh, and then he begins to preach the gospel in chapters 4 through 7. In chapters 8 through 10 of Matthew, Jesus presents his credentials as the Messiah. And how does he go about doing that? What does Jesus do to show the population that he is the Messiah? What are the credentials that he's presenting? The messianic miracles. Miracles in general, and then the messianic miracles in particular. Right? And there are some messianic miracles that we will mention in a little bit. Right? Um, so that's what he does in, verse, in chapters 8 through 10. Then in chapter 11... We begin to notice the rejection of, the, of Jesus. Jesus, not his own rejection, that he's going to have to the cross and die. And 
begin to give flavors about it. The kingdom now is going to be postponed. Why is the kingdom going to be postponed? Because they're rejecting the king, right? And so then we get to chapter 12. And chapter 12 brings this big climax in the rejection of the king. In that, what is the, 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 the most significant things that happen in chapter 12? You know, that Jesus does a sign. And what do the religious leaders do when Jesus does this sign? They say that he's casting out demons but Beelzebub. So, you know, this is not the work of God. This is not the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the work of Satan himself. Satan is casting out Satan. So they attributed to Satan the works of the Holy Spirit doing through Jesus Christ. That is the, the, the climax of their rejection of, of that. And then beginning in Matthew 13, again, it marks a critical point in that Jesus, based on that rejection, <coughs> Jesus begins to change or changes the way that he approaches ministry, the way that he goes about teaching people. At the beginning, during the first few chapters, 12 chapters or so, the first part of his life, his teaching is clear. But beginning in chapter 13, we read that in other, passage, in other books of Mark 4 and Luke, I think it's 7 or 8. What does Jesus begin to do? He begins to teach in parables. He, he begins, and he has a purpose for teaching in parables, and he's going to tell us that okay, uh, this evening. So he's going to teach in parables, and he's going to begin to teach about the kingdom of heaven. And now he's going to, he, he's going to t t give some lesson about this kingdom of heaven that's going to be postponed because the king has been rejected, and then the rejection is going to end in his crucifixion. So he's going to teach about this intermediate aspect of the kingdom of heaven between his rejection and his death and his second coming. What is going to be like during the time of the kingdom of heaven? How are people going to respond to the word, to the gospel, during this intermediate period on the kingdom of heaven? The word kingdom of heaven is, um, is used exclusively by Matthew. No other New Testament writer uses the word, the phrase kingdom of heaven. It's parallel to kingdom of God. That's used often. And, there, and Jesus uses uh, both at the same time in the same context. So it's one and the same thing. But Matthew himself uses, uh, exclusively uses, uh, he's the only, not exclusively uses kingdom of heaven, but he's the only writer to use kingdom of heaven. He also uses the phrase kingdom of God. Did you have your hand up or, or, or no? Or you, just, you were just at the high school. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what we find ourselves, right? Um, when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, that refers to God's rule, the rule of God. And how is God going to rule during this intermediate 
period. God is always a rule. But what is this kingdom going to look like in an intermediate period, right, during this gap, let's say, between the kingdoms, between the coming kingdom, the, the departure and the coming kingdom? Well, there's going to be two aspects that are normally noted. There is an outward aspect of the kingdom and an inward aspect of the kingdom. And the outward aspect of the kingdom is that the kingdom is composed of all professing Christians. And then the inward aspect of the kingdom is that the kingdom is composed of only true Christians. Right? So there is the, the big picture of the kingdom and then the real picture of the kingdom, that God is ruling in the hearts of those who have really put their trust in him. And Jesus goes on to demonstrate that those aspects, that aspect of the kingdom in this first parable. And in the Gospel of Mark, he says that uh, Jesus makes the statement referring to this parable, parable that this is like a key parable. If we get this parable, then we will be able to understand the rest of the parable. So this is key. This is about the interim period and how people are going to respond to the kingdom. So Jesus introduced, is going to introduce the parable, and we are going to read that in a minute. Let me skip some of the notes. So there it is, the picture of the circle of the two kingdoms. Now you saw it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so let's turn to uh, um, Matthew 13, as you are, verses 1 through 9. And here we have Jesus stating the parable. He's going to tell him a parable. Okay? And, and what is a parable? Let's, let's say that first. What is a parable? A parable is a... Yeah, it's an earthly story with a, with a more significant earthly meaning. It's just a, it's an illustration, right? It's an illustration using everyday life that has a deeper meaning. And so Jesus is going to use an, every, an illustration of everyday life that is common in those days. Uh, the people would have seen this all the time. They would have been familiar with this type of illustration. And so he's going to give this illustration, uh, very well known to the people. And then he's going to say, okay, but this is what I'm really trying to tell you about this. Right? So who would like to read verses uh, yeah, 1 through 9, please? Thank you, Marianne. So it begins in verse 1. It says, on the same day. 
Jesus. So on what day would that have been, since it is the same day? Yeah, we have to go back to chapter 12, right? And we mentioned a little bit what already happened in chapter 12. Uh, it's in the day that he healed the demon-possessed man. A mute and blind demon-possessed man, which Max said correctly, this is a messianic miracle. Meaning is, this is a, a miracle that only the Messiah could perform. So this was not something that was in the scripture in the Old Testament that said the Messiah can only perform these miracles. But the religious leaders had taken the miracles and made a, a special category of miracles that said, you know, yeah, there are miracles, but then there are messianic miracles. And this is a messianic miracle because one of the beliefs was that in order to cast a demon, the person doing the casting had to know the name of the demon. But what's happening here in chapter 12? It's mute. And they say, well, you know, that demon can speak, so nobody knows the name. So who's going to cast him out? Only the Messiah can do that. So in the same day that Jesus does that, the messianic miracle. There are other messianic uh, miracles. Um, one was the healing of a Jewish man of leprosy. Why is that messianic? Because all throughout the Old Testament, you know, in the book of Leviticus, all these rules have been given for the cleansing of leprosy. Like three chapters go of all the procedures that need to be taken to do to declare a person clean from leprosy. And guess what? They never had to use it. They never had to use it. Okay? There was only one person that was Jewish, that was a leprous, and that person was before the law was given, and it was not a man. Who was that? Miriam, right? Yeah, uh, Moses' sister. So she was the one. So they said, hey, you know, we've never seen that. You know, we have all these leprous people, but no leprous man was ever healed. But the Messiah will do that, and Jesus did that. Other was the healing of a man born blind. You know, we read that in the Gospel of John. And the man said, I don't know who he is, but this thing I know. Once I was blind, but now I see and the man goes on to say, you know what, nobody's ever heard of a man being cured, being born blind, having been healed. So again, they will say, this is a messianic miracle, right? And last but not least, <coughs> the resurrection of the dead. Some people consider that after a person had been dead for four days. And what case was that? Lazarus. Right, yeah. And why four days? Well, the Jewish people had this belief. Man, I'm going to run short of time. And the Jewish people had this belief that uh, <laughs> when a person died, the spirit of the person kind of uh, hovered around the person for a few days, you know, about two or three days. And then after that, it departed. So if somebody could come along while the spirit was hanging around there and say, hey, you know, we're rising from the dead. But after three days, on the fourth day, the spirit was already gone. <coughs> so only the Messiah could do that. And Jesus did it. 
he rose Lazarus from the dead. And as a reward for that to Lazarus, the religious leaders, what did they wanted to do? They wanted to kill him again. They said, come on, you guys. <laughs> Haven't you learned the lesson? <laughs> right? So here we have. So those are the messianic miracles. So on the same day that Jesus had the messianic miracles, on the same day that the religious leader accused him of casting demons by the power of Satan, on the same day that they committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So all things are coming heavy on Jesus. On the same day that he's outside and they say to him, <clears throat> your mother and brothers are waiting outside. And Jesus says, but who's my mother? Who are my brother? What does he do in this? Says, you know, relationship with me is not based on flesh and blood. Is based on a personal relationship with him. So he, he marks that distinction. On the same day, now a bunch of crowds are following him, and he tells them a parable, the parable of the sower and the seed. And we'll move quickly through this part of it, right? First is that the sower, who's the sower? We don't know, right? Some people believe that it's Jesus based on, uh, based on verse 37, but we don't know. Because in verse 37, different parable, it says that he is the, the, the sower. But here is identified. And to me, and I'll explain that later, to me, it doesn't make sense that it would be Jesus. To me, it sounds, we'll see. We'll talk about when we get there on the explanation. <laughs> the seed, uh, there is no comments made about the seed, about the quality of the seed. It just mentioned that the seed, and it's assumed to be good seed, and that it's expected to do what it will do. And the focus of this parable is exclusively on what? The soils. The focus of the parable is exclusively on the response of the ground, of the soil, right? So the first soil that is mentioned is in chapter 13, verse 4, and it's the wayside. Now, the wayside is, is the path on the sides of the field. That, that's where people travel on, and it was a... It was a ground that was hard, right? Sometimes you get in the wood, and you can see the woods growing and all that kind of stuff, and then you see a path, and you see the path where people have walked through, or you see the path where the deer have walked through. Right? It's a different kind of path. You can tell which one is which, right? Uh, the overgrown, and the one that animals or people have been going through is a hard soil. It's a hard ground, okay? And when the seed falls on this ground, we are told, it said, so, and the seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. In other words, the seed did not penetrate. It never got into the ground. It became food. It was taken away. Then the second soil, verses 5 and 6, the second ground is the stony Places And the stony places refer to um, rocks under the soil. The, so there are rocks that are stone, and they're covered with a little bit with soil. So the person doesn't see the rock. So you think, well, this is good, good soil. And it's not. It's deceptive. Personal story. Years ago, I was in Colorado skiing, doing things that I should not do because I wasn't qualified to ski or to do what I was doing. So I, I fall on the steep slope, 
And I'm thinking, okay, there is a little pile of snow there, and I'm going to aim for it. So when I hit that pile of snow, it slowed me down. Hmm? About that much snow and a big rock under me. So I ended up on a cast from all the my leg, you know, on the, on the left-hand side. <laughs> yeah, it did slow me down. <laughs> Quite a bit going downhill, <laughs> even on my walk. Yeah, so that's the rocky, the rocky soil. Right? It appears safe. It appears good soil, but it's deceptive. It's deceptive uh, because it has no depth to it. It has uh, they, they had no, the sea had no ability to, to establish root, no foundation, nothing could get through, okay? Nothing could be um, planted there. But it looked good from the outside. It looked good from the outside. Now, then uh, verse 7 speaks of the, the seed that fell among the thorns. Thorny plants here could grow up to be about six feet tall, and they have a major root system. So here was this little seed. What happens? You have garden, you, if you have garden, you, you know this, right? What do you have to do to a garden in order to produce something? Yeah, you have to weed it. How often? Well, regularly. <laughs> you know, when Ed and I go to Birmingham and for a week and come back, and, you know, the garden is, oh, man, um, the weeds grow a lot stronger and a lot faster in a larger quantity than the plants. So what do the weeds do? They choke the plant. Oh, wow. It's almost like Jesus knew what he was talking about. <coughs> so that's what we see was happening here. I fell up among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked it. And then the last part says, but, uh, verse 8, but others fell on the good ground and yielded a crop, some 400, a hundredfold, some 60, and some 30. And then the Lord says, he who has an ear, let him hear. Okay. So then it gets to the, to the good soil. Let's call that topsoil. So when we're talking about the, the good soil, the topsoil, uh, we, we are not told at this point what the good soil is like. What are the characteristics of the good soil? We are not told here. <clears throat> but we are told what the good soil is not. Right? We are told what the good soil is not. So the good soil is not hard. Okay? It has some depth to it. It's not deceitful. Guess what? It's not yeah, it's not stamped on. It's not hard. It has some depth to it. And what else? It's not overgrown by weeds. Right? And so it's a soil that is ready and is promising that when the seed is put in that soil, it's going to do something. There is hope for fruit, right? It's a productive soil. It's a productive soil. And then the Lord says in verse 9, he who has an ear, let him hear, right? And we see that phrase where? Where do we find that phrase often? In what book in the Bible? Revelation, right? And a better translation will be he who has an ear, had better pay attention. <laughs> okay. So he's saying, are you listening? This is important. 
Okay? Put your ears up. You get your ears on my, my father-in-law would say, you got your ears on? Are you listening? Are you listening? Are you paying attention? Okay. So that's the, the parable, the introduction of the parable. You, Jesus used an everyday illustration. And the disciples are there saying, hmm, that's nice. I, I, yeah. But the one thing that they realize is what? That it is a parable. Uh, so they know there is more coming. They just don't know what it is. They are also intrigued about what the meaning of the parable is. So let's uh, read a little bit about now the response of the disciples, and more importantly, the explanation of Jesus that Jesus gives. So who would like to read for me verses, let's say, uh, 10 through 17? Who would like to read that? Juanette? We are going to summarize all this, right? <laughs> but we see two groups of people that the Lord Jesus addresses. Two groups of people. Who are they? So that again? Yeah, the one who hear, the one who are paying attention to what he's saying, and the ones who did not. Who? Not. So two groups of people. One are listening. And responding one way, the others are listening and not responding. So the Lord gives two categories of people here. And he says, I speak to them in parables, I speak in parables so that those who do not hear, who I'm being talking to, and they're not receptive, not necessarily do not hear, but those who are not receptive, what will happen with them? They, they are, first, they are not receptive, and so then the little that they have will be taken away because they are not receptive to, you know, they, to whom something is given, more is required. So, you know, they, he's feeding them, giving him the word. Uh, do you receive the word? Do you accept the word? Yes. Then I'll give you more revelation. I'll give you more revelation. Do you say no to the word? I don't want anything to do with the word. Stops the revelation. Right? And we'll get into that in a little bit. But um, it hasn't been, uh, uh, I was, uh, read an email. I'll give you the, I, I think I'll, it'll be okay to, to mention this. But uh, 
we are going to pray for the person. <laughs> but uh, Ken Zimmerman's mother made a profession of faith for the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. And I know that you guys were praying for that. Amen. Okay. So Dwight went, in, uh, Dwight went there and shared the gospel. Okay. And besides Kent and the mother, there were two other people there. It was Kent's father at Kent's end. The mother responded in faith. She put her trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The father was, ah, I don't know. And the aunt said, all he did was talk about Jesus. And everybody knows that. She happens to be a nun. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Right. So we have three different people here in this situation okay, that they hear the same word and they respond very differently. You know, sometimes we hear somebody present the gospel. Uh, I tell the story of uh, Ben Shapiro and John MacArthur talking to Ben Shapiro. And you think, you know, John MacArthur, man, what a great presentation of the gospel he did, right? Then I listen to another presentation, another uh, interview with Ben Shapiro and somebody else, and he refers to the interview with MacArthur. And you know what? He missed it completely. So I'm listening to the presentation of the gospel and I say, what a great presentation. Flew right over the head. Right? Yeah. We have understanding. You know, the Lord has given us light. And we say, man, we can really appreciate the gospel. And there are other people who can't. And the Lord says, the explanations, those who cannot appreciate, those who are not receptive, they are not going to get any more. So that the prophecy of Isaiah can be fulfilled. Okay. Any thoughts or questions so far? Yes, uh, Kurt. Right, it takes the Holy Spirit to open, open up the heart, uh, correct? And yet there is a human responsibility too, you know, uh, so it, it works both ways. Yeah, they, they have to say, I'm interested, I want to hear, tell me more, right? But when they say, you know, I don't want to hear, okay. Yeah, you just plant. We don't yeah, we don't know, right? Yeah, we don't know the soil. It all to us is all soil, right? Yeah, uh, Ned. Sure, you know, and part of the question that I have later on that I ask now, can can seed be resown in 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 the fields? And I take it that it is. What Jesus is illustrating here is that during this this period of time, there's going to be a variety of responses to the preaching of the gospel, to the preaching of the word. Right. Yeah, Mac. I mean, the number one cause of rejection of the gospel 
It's a proud genius. <laughs> yeah. Not like me. I'm a proud idiot. <laughs> anyway, so, okay, any other thoughts or comments before we move to the, uh, uh, to the interpretation of Jesus? Yeah. This is a great parable. It's lengthy, so I have to move uh, a little bit, right? So I'm sorry about that. Uh, and if we know this, uh, and you read the Bible a little bit, uh, we all know that the history of Israel is replete with examples of God speaking to them and then not paying attention. Right? They get off Egypt, and you think, well, you know, the Lord just delivered them from Egypt. They're going to remember this. No. <laughs> you know, immediately they go back into idolatry. Uh, so it's, uh, it's interesting. Uh, interesting people. Yeah, exactly. We forget. We fail to listen. All right. Uh, let's get now to verses 18 through 23. And the Lord said at, in verse 17, you better be listening. You better pay attention, tells the disciples. You know, this is what you're going to see. Do not be surprised. This is what's going to happen during this time. So who will read for us verses 18 through 23? Mac? Thank you, Mac. So in verse 18, it says uh, the sower. Again, we talked about the sower a little bit. It's not identified. In verse 37, speaks that he's the son of man. I, I take it that this is a different sower, and that this sower here is representing, that's why he's unidentified, is representing the people who during this period are going to be sowing. That will be those people who are responding to Matthew 28, to go and make disciples, to be ambassadors for Christ, to those who are sharing uh, the good news, to those who are sharing the gospel. Who will those be? Uh, the disciples and who else? Us. Yeah. Uh, the, the U.S. of us. Right? That's us. That's every believer has that responsibility uh, to be a planter, to be a sower. So we are out there as, as the Lord gives opportunities and we have chance. I was talking to a young man uh, in Panera uh, a few last week. I think I mentioned and talked to him twice. And, and it was the same situation. You know, I, I shared the gospel with this young man all together for about an hour and a half. And I'm saying, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? It, it, you know, 
I'm talking about the gospel, and I said, you know, Austin, you're not paying attention. You're going astray from me. You're to stay with me. You know, what happens? I don't know what happens, but it reminds me a little bit of this person here in verse 19. It says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, so he hears it, he goes in one ear, but what does he do? Doesn't put it together. Doesn't put it together. Right? And he doesn't put it together because, and I like the, the phrase that uh, what Mark was saying earlier in the week. Uh, he said, when I talk to somebody about the gospel, a lot of times you ask what are their biases, right? right? So it seems to me that this person here in verse 19 had a bias against the gospel. They are not receptive to the gospel. From the get-go, they have a hardened heart to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it says that they, uh, so they do not understand it. They don't get it. They, they have biases. The world never has a chance. It never got into the ground. It stayed above the ground. It means, you know, the game, the, the Heisman, not you. Oh, you are a Christian. You want to talk about Jesus. <laughs> yeah, right. Thank you. Uh, so they, they hear the word. But they do not receive it. They do not understand it. They do not uh, put it together. There is a resistance and a rejection for the word. But they heard it. But what happens with those people? Well, it says here that the wicked one, Satan. You know, in, in the, this parable is also found in Mark and in Luke, and a different title is used for Satan every time. Uh, so it's that's kind of interesting. But here is the, the wicked one. He came, comes, and snatches it away. And the word there, to snatch away, is the same word that is used in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 for the rapture. Yeah, for the rapture. Okay. What does that mean? He takes it away by force. It cannot be stopped, right? So it's interesting here. Uh, the idea is uh, when you're talking about the rapture, the, the, the word is uh, harpazo, and it means to be caught up, and it's be pulled by force. So when the rapture comes, nothing is going to hold us back. It's going to hold us back. God is going to say, out of here. You, say, well, yeah, you know, no, you're getting out of here. So that's the picture here with this man. The Satan comes and forcefully takes the word away. So now these people who first rejected, now they don't even have a chance to think about the word that they heard because it's completely erased or completely ignored from their hearts, from their minds. Still, God's grace is there because the word fell on them. You know, and if you're like me, you may have family members who have heard the word and they seem to be very hard. And you know what I do? I do not say, well, I try once. <laughs> right? What do we do? Every opportunity that we have, we just, let me throw a few more seeds there, right? Lord, I pray that you will turn the soil, that they can be receptive. 
So that's what, what we do. You know, say, well, you know, that's a hard soil. Well, I mean, it was yesterday. I mean, it was yesterday. Made a lot of work on that, right? Uh, yes, Kurt. That's, nobody will snatch him out of my hand. Yeah, and in that case, it's a, it's a statement of assurance. It says, no matter how strong they come, they're not going to be able to do it. Yeah, it's a statement of assurance. Yeah, great. Thank you, Kirk. All right. So any question on this wayside reception, this hardened ground? Any thoughts? Okay. Let's look now about the next ground that is presented to us. Uh, which is the rocky ground. I call that the deceptive ground. Deceptive. Uh, or you could also call it superficial. Okay. Defective. Superficial. Maybe deceptive is a, is a good word here. And uh, let's look at the, at the ground. What does this person do? Do they hear the word? Yeah, they, they hear the word. They pay attention. So, uh, and do, do they have any understanding? Yeah, they receive the seed in the stony places, and he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Okay, so they hear the word, and how do they respond? There is an emotional response here. You know, look at here, it says, but, they, uh, but the one who received the seed on the stony place, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. And yet he has no root in himself, and he goes on. You know, does it say anything about understanding? So this is completely an emotional response. And the emotional response, how's that? It's an intellectual and said, there is something here for me. What can I get out of this? I thought, Ned and I had a friend a long time ago. Uh, she was a tiny girl, maybe four or five, <laughs> small. And she enjoyed riding motorcycles. And Duanette shared the gospel with her. And she came over the house and explained to us that she wanted to trust the Lord because in case that she died, that she uh, wanted to go to heaven. And so I said, it doesn't work that way. You know, you got to trust in Jesus as Lord. He's not your fire insurance in case you die. You know, that's a, that's a superficial, this is what's in for me. Rather, this is about the glory of God. What's in for me? Okay. So this person has a, an initial, emotional, happy response. No thoughts of understanding, nothing about what the gospel is and what the gospel does and what the gospel requires. Nothing about their sins. You know, sometimes when understanding, you think, that you think about the sins, but nothing of that is here. And then what happens? He's a happy-go-lucky. Hey, I'm a Christian. Praise the Lord. How's this going? Everything is good. And then one day, Somebody says, oh, so you are a Christian. Well, 
you know what? You're going to experience some persecution. And then it reminds me of Peter. No, no, I don't even know the man. But Peter repented. Right? This person went away. So the profession was good as long as things were good. Yeah. And how did he respond? Did it take a long person to disperse? Did it take a long time to this person to respond? No. It says immediately. Yeah. And when the persecutions came, how long did it take him to retreat? Immediately. It's always immediate. This is an immediate person, right? Is superficial. Is deceptive. He has no root. It's a rocky ground. It has no depth. And the, the seed never has opportunity to, to put out root. And this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root. Before a plant grows, what it has to be? The root is the first thing that grows, right? And root establishes a firm foundation for the plant to grow healthy. This guy didn't even get going. It was all talk, all fluff, all prosperity gospel, perhaps. <laughs> right? But when difficult times came, he said no. And maybe prosperity gospel is probably more uh, better for the, for the next person. Uh, okay. So as fast as he professed, he, they abandoned. Uh, there were no second thoughts here. So, <laughs> not me. So, I don't want to know anything to do with this man. And it just says in Scripture that it's temporary. It's for a season. What season? Well, the season when all is going well. <laughs> and when the tough gets going, or when the going gets tough, <laughs> yeah, when the going gets tough, what happened? What did he do? He got going. <laughs> right? He went away. Okay. Any thoughts or questions here? Okay, let's move to the next group. To the next one. Okay. This is, uh, I call this the, the worldly person or the worldly ground, right? Uh, so he hears the word there in verse 22. Let's see a little bit. Now the one who receives the seed among the sons is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of the riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. So this is another person who hears the word, doesn't completely understand it, just like the previous one, does not really count the cost, but this person is concerned with what? With the here, with the here and now, okay? Oh, you know, I, I got the cares of the world, I got my business, I got my family, I got the taxes to pay, I got vacation to go. You know, there's a nice boat that I want to get. I got this and that. And then it's, well, you know, I got to build more, more barns because things are going well. And, and if I become a Christian and I have to serve Christ, I might lose all of that because, you know, he said, you know, give your riches away and follow me.
There's a lot of more sinning I need to do. The, you know, uh, John, First John talks about uh, people who love the world, the love of the world, and uh, those who love the world. Uh, and it says, let me read here, do not love the world or the things of the world. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Do not be conformed to this world. Uh, the love of money is a root of all evil. Okay? That's what this person is. He's in love with the world. And uh, he wants to do well here. He wants to move up the ladder make progress, build more and more bonds, like the Lord says in another story. And he's not willing to give that up. Not that the Lord is asking him to give it up, but he thinks that he might. And he says, I want nothing to do with Christ. Look at that. You know, I'm, I'm getting choked. Amen. They, and they, they choke that person here. They it strangles it, right? Uh, the concern for material things is bigger and greater than the concern for, for spiritual things, right? Um, yeah, the world ranks over the word. Uh, the word is replaced. Uh, yeah, any other thoughts or questions? We can talk more, but I got to move. <laughs> Okay, and so finally we get to the topsoil. We finally get to the topsoil. Now, what are the characteristics of this man? As we read verse 23, what does he tell us about this man? He hears and understands. Okay. He's paying attention, he heard what it was said, and then he begins to process it. And he begins to process it, so he counts the cost. He understands what is expected of him. He understands what Christ is all about. He understands what it means to be, that Jesus will be his Lord, his master. He understands what to mean a follower of Christ. He's putting it all together. He gets it all together. So he understands, he hears the word, he understands it. And then he says, who bears fruit, and produces, and who indeed bears fruit and produces. So how many of these people that we saw here bear fruit? Only one. And in chapter 12, the Lord says, talking about trees, the Lord says, you will know them by the fruit. Not by their profession, not by their excitement. You will know them by the fruit. Okay? So I say, hey, it's going to be evident. Don't worry about the excitement. Don't worry about the profession. Just look for the fruit. And how much fruit is going to be? Well, it's, it mentions it's a lot here. And the reason that it's mentioned a lot, I take it, is to indicate that it's evident. It is evident that there is a changed life. It is evident that this is a topsoil. 
that the root, is, that the seed is taking root, and it's visible. You can see, you know. Think about what it says here. Look at it. It says this, you know. I, I had to get my, my paper and, and do some numbers here a little bit, but it says, who indeed bears fruit and produces, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Let me tell you, I would like to have that kind of return with my investments. <laughs> yeah. A hundredfold represents how much? No. One is a hundred percent. A hundredfold is 10,000 percent. Right? So if it was one for one, it produced a hundred percent. But a hundredfold, you take that one percent, you know, add two zero, that, so that a hundred percent add two zero, that becomes 10,000 percent. I tell you, if my investment will do the 30 fold, <laughs> right, I will be so happy. So the point I think that the Lord is making is that it's going to be evident. You know, I don't know if a person produced 30, 60, or 100. I don't know, but we know, or we will know that is evident. You know, yeah, that person is producing fruit. I see and we would say, you know, what kind of fruit? What kind of fruit would that be? Well, easily we will say, well, it has to be the fruit of the Spirit. Sure, that will make sense. Okay? But I think that what is told here is in a general sense, with the fruit of the Spirit will be included. He said, you will see a changed life. A person who's responsive to the Word, who doesn't cower when difficult time comes, who will stay faithful to the faith, and who would put the Lord above his riches and above the cares of this world. This person produces fruit. The Lord is first. The Lord is number one. And it's evident. He said, you know, if I look at Mac, I, I can say, well, Mac produced a hundredfold. Well, I don't know if he produced a hundredfold, but I know that there is fruit. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's what I hope, right? Okay. So, anyways, any thoughts or any questions? I have to move on. So, uh, yes, Kurt. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. There, is, there are different soils, right? But there's only two responses. One that is a positive response and one that says, one way or another, they're saying no to the word. One may be because of bias, just from the get-go. They say, I don't want to hear. If you want to talk about Jesus, I don't want to hear. Okay. Another may be, well, yeah, it has a, a little response, but then when confronted with the truth of the gospel and put on the spot, like Daniel, right, or Daniel's friend, or Joseph, right? I know, Daniel's and Daniel's friend, Say, hey, you know, uh, if you don't bow down, uh, you're going to go into the fire or you're going to be thrown to the lions. I don't want to go to the lions. I don't even know that guy. Or it gets distracted, gets choked in by the cares of the world. You know, I'm too involved in this world. Only one produces fruit. The Lord said you will know the body fruit. So in this interim kingdom, there's going to be a a lot of different responses to the word. But only one is legitimate. 
and is known by the fruit. And may we be people who do two things, people who bear fruit, and perhaps some of the fruit that we bear is sowing seeds. Okay. All right, any thoughts or questions or any final comments? It's another way of saying, I want nothing to do with the word, you know, I want nothing to do with the word. All right. Well, great. Thank you. Um, we'll move now to the prayer request.